Welcome to Love Love Tennis, where tennis talk starts. I'm Ruth Dobson Torres, host of the Love Love Tennis podcast. The goal of this episode and all future episodes is to promote the sport of tennis by sharing diverse and interesting opinions and voices about all things happening in the tennis world today. So let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Love, Love Tennis podcast. I'm excited to introduce our podcast guest today. First, let me tell you a little bit about him. He's originally from Toronto, Canada. He played college tennis at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington, and there he holds top 25 historic career stats for both singles and doubles play. For example, he holds the record number 15 most singles wins, number 23 best singles record, number 16 most doubles wins, and number 22 best doubles record. He is a PTR certified tennis pro, and in 1996, he became the head tennis pro at Prestonwood Country Club located in Cary, North Carolina. He is active with Triangle Area Tennis here in North Carolina. In in 2012, he was the inaugural Western Wake County Tennis Association's Pro of the Month. Since then, he has been coaching USTA senior, adult, and junior competitive players and working with recreational players of all ages, kids, juniors, and adults, and sharing with them his extreme enthusiasm for the game of tennis. Welcome, Mike Reyes. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm honored to, to be uh, asked to be a guest. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this. Great. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We are very excited that you're our Love Love Tennis podcast guest today. And to start us off, I would like to ask you about Canada. I understand you're a native of Toronto, and I want, I want to ask, when did you start playing tennis there, and when did you first realize that you truly love, love the game of tennis? Sure. Uh, yeah, I was born in Toronto, and... Uh, Moved to Oakville, uh, which is where my parents still live. It's about 45 minutes west of Toronto. Um, I lived there probably from the age of two on. And uh, I started playing tennis uh, maybe the age of 10. So almost almost a late start in a way, as, as, as sad as that sounds. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we. Uh, my dad was a really good player. He's probably a 4-0 player. His, his big hero was uh, Guillermo Vilas, the Argentinian left-hander. My dad's left-handed. I'm left-handed. My sister's left-handed. It's, just, you know, it's a very, very unique scenario in that sense. And um, so I just kind of copied him, you know, just like all other uh, pretty much Canadian boys. I grew up playing ice hockey and, uh, you know, I really liked playing tennis in the summer. It was kind of a thing that we did as a family. And really from about 11, 10, 11 on, I really got hooked. Um, okay. And then. 12s, I started competing in tournaments, and it was like, okay, this is it. This is going to be my sport. You know, this is this is going to be it. <laughs> so tennis beat out hockey. Yes, <laughs> tennis beat out hockey and soccer for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know there's quite a bit of distance between Canada and North Carolina. So, mm-hmm. how did you end up playing college tennis at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington? And what years were you there? Sure. I was there um, 1990 to 94, and. Uh, the way it worked out, um, my senior year of 
high school, my last year of junior tennis, uh, there was a whole group of us that were trying to, to, you know, land scholarships in the U.S. and, uh, you know, play, you know, continue our, our tennis career by playing college tennis. And I had written to, well, I couldn't tell you how many schools, but everything was all up and down the, the east or west coast. I wanted to be near the ocean. It <laughs> was like my first priority was to be somewhere near the ocean. And um, I was actually set to go to um, Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina because uh, one of my doubles partners from home was going to play for them. And then um, it, it just worked out like he, the coach there said, I'm, uh, you know, I can't offer you the scholarship money. I'm going to give it to a Swedish player that uh, I think needs it more. So then I got in contact with UNC Wilmington and was like, you know, Coach Honeycutt, Larry Honeycutt was the coach then and said, uh, I'd like to play for you. And so it's really almost very last minute um, a transaction as far as uh, when I got into school. Um, school started that year on August 23rd, and I think I got accepted. <laughs> I want to say August the 10th. Oh, okay. Really, yeah, I didn't go for a visit or anything. I didn't even see the campus or anything like that until I, we actually got there. Wow. Um, that August, yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Worked out for the better. Yes, yes. And I, I do understand, I mentioned in the introduction, I understand that you had an impressive historic record there at UNC Wellington and that your name is in the record books from both a singles and doubles perspective. So which did you prefer um, at that time, singles or doubles? And and you mentioned your dad had an inspiration. I was wondering at the time you were in college, you know, playing at UNCW, who were the ATP and WTA professional tennis players that inspired you at that time? So, you know, tell me singles, doubles, and then which players were you sure. watching? Uh, I, you know, I really, uh, even now, I still love doubles. And then back then, too, I love doubles. I love the team aspect of it. I like figuring out what what needs to happen at that moment, you know, and what strategy we need to employ. Um so, so I'd really, you know, I think I preferred doubles even even back then. Though obviously we, we played both, and um, ATP tour wise, you know, again being left handed, all the lefties from that era. I mean, I really loved Henri Leconte, the French the Frenchman, left handed um, left handed magician. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, John McEnroe, of course. Of course. And, um, yeah, you know, again, great doubles player, great singles player. Same with same with Lacan. Really uh, admired uh, Martina Navratilova. Right uh, on the women's side, you know, she's such a pioneer as far as the fitness um, end of tennis, and you know, leaving no stone unturned as far as uh, to make herself better. And again, another left-handed player, right? So, right. So I could always I could always relate to that. <laughs> Well, funnily enough, my husband is a tennis player. He's a USDA 3.0, and he is a lefty. So um, I actually have had some experience playing with um, him and lefties uh, in, in recent years. That's great. Um, well, besides the adjustment of, of training and playing in, in a warmer, I'm assuming warmer climate oh, there, yeah, warmer. <laughs> between uh, Canada and then at, you know in Wilmington, North Carolina, by the coast uh, here in North Carolina, what other actions did you take? that you think were critical for your success as you transitioned to playing at the college level? And is there one lesson learned from your college tennis career that sticks with you today that you remember that you could share, like, you know, an important piece of advice from an, a coach or even another player that you've, you know, that's never left you, something that was a real impression from that part of your tennis career? From, from that career, yeah. Um, so... I would definitely say on the uh, on the advice side, always fight. Lucha siempre. 
right? Always fighting. You know? <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, you never give up, you know, keep, keep, keep grinding, keep trying to figure out what, you know, what you can do different or what you can do better or, or how we can disrupt your opponent's rhythm. You know, and, and some days you just lose because the, the other player is better. But, but um, I think that was the biggest takeaway because the, the, one of the neat things about college tennis, you know, there's, there's, you know, six or 10 guys on a team and, and you're all, you know, working to the same goal. You're all, you know, you're all supporting each other. So if you're the last match on, you know, you're, guaranteed to have seven or eight other guys pulling for you, you know, <laughs> and, and cheering you on and rooting you on and keep going keep grinding you know keep fighting and and then i think that was the, the the biggest takeaway even now you know if if someone is down on a third set and they you know they maybe they pass through the fence you know what should i do I said, well, you know keep fighting keep you know, fighting keep fighting keep going <laughs> keep going don't don't give up. Don't don't let your head drop. You know, keep going. And a lot of times, you'd be surprised how many times you pull out of a, uh, pull a matchup simply by just that attitude. You know, right? Simply by that attitude. That, that's great. Um, yes, yeah, uh, keep fighting. I love that. And um, it is easier said than done sometimes. Yes, as you were sure. saying. But yeah. um, but I love that. That's like a simple mantra that that yeah. that you. Know, there's, you... No, there's no time clock in tennis, right? Like there is in hockey, right? There's right. No, uh, <laughs> you know, there's no time clock you know, counting down. So, so you could be down six, one, five, love, 40, love, and you still have a chance. Yes. You know, you and, still... you know, interestingly for me, I actually had an, uh, one time, uh, tiebreaker. I was down, it was a 10 point tiebreaker and I was down two to nine and I came back and won that tiebreaker 12, 10. So I, you know, I know that it can, it can happen. You, and, and I just told myself in that instance, you know, I've got time, you know, like you're saying, there's no time clock with tennis like right. hockey um so after like continuing on after uncw can you tell us if you explored any professional tour circuits and at what point did you determine that your professional career would be in tennis coaching um you, you know even before i left for for um uncw i was already teaching at a club in oakville the, the oakville club um and uh, I was just teaching a little bit in the summer. And even then, at like 17, I was like, you know, this is a really cool profession. <laughs> <laughs> even then, I was like, you know, you get to be outside, you work on your tan, you know, people are <laughs> you to sweat. Right. <laughs> this, is, this is a pretty cool job, you know. So even I think at that time, there was an inkling that I think I was headed that way. And, and um, when I started at UNCW, my, my first uh, major was actually uh, education. I wanted to be like a teacher. Okay. And, uh, you know, an English teacher first, and then it became um, uh, elementary education. And uh, that, you know, I was really like, I think I just want to coach. I didn't really think I want to be a, a teaching pro or a tennis coach. I didn't know at that time if it was going to be at the college level or if it was going to be at a club or at a resort. And uh, I ended up majoring in um, parks and recreation management, travel and tourism as my um, focus. And from there, um, I went to Vandermeer Tennis uh, Center in Hilton Head. And that's really where it cemented with me, like, okay, I'm definitely going to do this. This is going to be my my, uh, my my career of choice. I was down there as, a, as an intern to finish my degree. Right. And then, and then they, they ended up hiring me on uh, full-time after that, after that summer. Okay. Well, that's interesting to know that for you, it started early before you know even yeah. college and that you yeah. sort of knew you were going in that direction I was going to ask you uh, related to 
tennis players who become coaches. You know, we've seen that certainly, you know, you see it at the, the ATP level, like the Boris Becker or the Yvonne Lindell. Um, and, you know, Andre Agassi, I know, was, you know, has has, has delved into that with some of the, the ATP players and the, the skill sets that that is that is required to be a successful tennis coach. I wondered, do you think that it's a prerequisite, uh, you know, for success to have been a successful you know, college or, you know, tour level player to, you know, is that a prerequisite for success to be a a great tennis coach? Do you have to be a great tennis player before, um, necessarily? You know, I, I don't, um, I think it helps. I think it helps because if you've been in the trenches, you know, you can explain or you can, um, help someone figure out how can they, when they're in the trench, right? How can they get out of a match or out of a situation like that? And, and um, I, I think, you know, not every great player becomes a great coach. Right. Right. Because the skill sets don't always transfer over, you know, especially at the ATP tour level or WTA tour level, that, that requires a certain level of, of um, selfishness. You know, those, you, you, everything revolves around your practice schedule and your travel schedule. And, and, and uh, so it, it, when you're a coach, you're definitely anything but selfish. <laughs> right. So that's, I, I think that's one of the skills is it definitely doesn't transfer over. <laughs> you know, be, becoming a great coach or becoming a, a, you know, yeah, becoming a great coach from being a great player. Because mm-hmm. uh, you definitely, you, your ego takes a back seat. Right. When you become a coach in that sense. Yes. Especially at that that level. Especially at that level. level, But I think probably at at a lot of levels too. So, um, (laughs) yeah, I get get you. And I I do find it interesting that you had that interest in majoring in education uh, too. So that that aspect, I was wondering, I I can only assume it would never hurt if someone had that background and and that training, uh, that that could translate into and onto the court. So sure. that makes sense yeah. to me. So, um, okay. So I want to ask, um, in your current role uh, as a head tennis pro at, at your club in Cary, North Carolina, um, I know you coach individuals of all ages. And I want to ask, um, who are the easiest players to coach, the kids or the adults, and why? That's a, that's a good question. You know, the, yeah. the, um, I love teaching the little kids. Like the four to eight group, that's our red ball group. Uh, those kids get so good so fast, right? They get so good, they become very, um, and they're they're like little sponges, of course, right? At that age, they become very, um, you know, absorbed in, into what you're teaching. So uh, I love working with that group. But then on the on the same end, on the adult end, I love working with two five three zero because it, uh, under the same pretense, they get better so quickly. They make such big strides in their game very fast okay and, and you know when you have someone like a four or five or a five oh or, or really like high level junior that the the jumps and improvements are, are really small they're very small details right um and and they don't always translate right away it might be you know you might be working on a new service stance with a high level junior and it's going to take like four or five hours for it really to show up okay you know so so uh if, if you're asking me what what I like teaching best, I love I love beginners. You know, I love I love working with everybody, but I really love the beginners. You love beginners on the junior end, and and uh, yeah, and on the adult end because they just they get quick 
they get better so quickly and they, you can just see like the enjoyment and the um, like, wow, I couldn't do that last week. <laughs> yes, you know? the, the eureka moments. Like, well, I, I understand. I get it. Seeing that, yeah. that, short, that progress there in the short term. I understand. Okay. Well, what about singles play versus doubles play? Uh, mm-hmm. Word on today's proverbial tennis street is that doubles is much more of a strategy game and a game of plays than singles. So I was wondering, do you find coaching singles players uh, maybe easier than coaching doubles players? And, you know, for example, are there more doubles techniques that individuals need to learn before they can really experience success in doubles? And does that make, you know, coaching and, and training for doubles more challenging? Sure. Um, I, actually, I, I, you're right. Singles is a little easier to teach, but I find double, teaching doubles more fascinating from, from a professional end. And, and it absolutely is a game of plays and a game of, of, of strengths and weaknesses and, you know, who you match up with or who you partner with and, and who plays better down the middle and, and so on. Um, yeah, that, that's the, the um, you know, kind of the, the geeky part of a doubles for me. I love figuring that, that part out. You know, how can we take advantage of this big forehand and, and, and this, this guy's got a great volley? You know, how can we take advantage of those strokes? Um, and give them more opportunities at the net, you know, or more opportunities to hit their big, their big shot. Um, and, and that's what I love about doubles. There's, there are so many ways you can position yourself, you know, four players on the court. And the only person that has a specific spot to stand is the server, right? They mm-hmm. have to be between the double sideline and the center hash mark behind the baseline. Everybody else can be anywhere. <laughs> they can be they can be floating anywhere so so you can really work that um work the positioning you know to your advantage for sure right yeah. i i know myself personally i've played more singles than than doubles and so for me um i'm i'm looking into uh trying to learn more about plays for doubles and, and double strategy. So um, related to that in fact um i want to mention that i did write a blog about all the available online tennis training options that are out there these days. And it seems that, you know, with COVID-19, it's really ushered in a new era or time right now of online tennis instruction. I've seen tons of tennis videos, some that are talking about double strategies. Uh, You know, there's the new top court site uh, where they've got the ATP and WTA pros. And I wanted to ask, what about you? You know, have you been doing any online coaching via Zoom or other technologies during this quarantine? And what's your opinion, you know, about the potential in the future for online coaching as, you know, as a business model to to really move ahead uh, once the pandemic's over? What, what's your opinion sure. on that? You know, I, I, there, there are um, a lot of uh, online sources, and, and I've been really... Uh, a member of tennisdrills.tv, which is a coach's resource. And, and, you know, it's really, really anybody can log on to that. But if you're a coach, if you're a parent of a junior player, um, that's really a good resource, tennisdrills.tv. It's Jorge Capistani's website. There's about 2,000 drills on there, all videoed and and broken down into like two or three minute videos. And, And I'm on that site pretty much weekly coming up with something or doing something for red ball or going, doing something for a beginner clinic or finding a drill or finding a game. And, uh, I like that one a lot. I like ten- tennis evolution. That's Jeff Salzenstein. I like that site a lot. Um, I, you know, the, the pandemic has really made the online coaching forums 
more active. You know, there's yeah. more, those guys, you know, they're not spending as much time on the court now. So, uh, so they're really doing, they're producing more content. Yes. Right? They're producing more, more videos. So I, I love being able to, to log on to Instagram and find something on there uh, or, or even on YouTube, you know, and find some coaches, um, uh, site or subs, uh, something that they're promoting or whatever. I love doing that. You know, that's, 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 uh, that's interesting for me. Yeah. You know, that's just for me to, to do that as, as a business model carrying on. I hope these, you know, when this ends, I hope these guys can get back on court and, you know, and, and do what we love. Cause you know, that's <laughs> the big thing is being outside and being on court, uh, you know, and, 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 uh, helping people out there. Um, yeah, I've asked prior guests about uh, online tennis instruction and some that had been players uh, and who are now coaching and asked, did they think that it would ever, you know, online instruction could ever replace, you know, on yeah, court? And, so. and the answer is always no. And so I'm yeah. assuming that you would agree with that. I agree. Yeah, I think it's a good supplement, you know, and, and maybe you can unearth something on there that, oh, I'd love to try that game or I'd love to try that drill. And, and uh I think you can find something that way, but as far as replacing, no, nothing replaces, I don't think, being on the court with a knowledgeable, passionate coach, you know, whether it's in a group lesson or private or whatever. I think that, that that's the ultimate. Which is great news for you and your um, job security for the future. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, um, I want to follow by uh, asking you about another thing that I've, I've spoken with other pod, uh, podcast guests before, and that's the fact that this year at the 2020 U.S. Open, uh, the tournament had a creative theme about opening up the game of tennis to more players. And right now, as you know, the USTA is running a tri-tennis program across communities in the United States. And then again, as we've mentioned, COVID-19, you know, right now playing tennis at a social distance is something that during this pandemic has brought out a lot of first timers onto the courts. Yeah. And, and I was wondering, what are your thoughts about opening up that those sorts of creative themes you know that that tennis programs are, are promoting right now and try tennis programs and why do you think tennis may be a sport that young people today should give a try sure yeah I, uh you know tennis tennis is for everybody right tennis it doesn't matter the age doesn't matter the you know the the um you know, physical condition. I mean, we even have wheelchair tennis, right? So, right. So I, I think anybody can play tennis. Um, I love the, the fact of uh, this tri-tennis programming or this tri-tennis concept, and uh, they're making it super easy to get into the game, you know, because it, it can be an expensive game, right? It can be an expensive sport. Right. But, I, um, you know, they're, they're providing the racket, they're providing an instructor, they're, they're, you know, they're providing the courts. I mean, what more do you need to, you know, to get started? Uh, you know, I think it's a, a great concept to, to open that up. You know, we're here, at, you know, at, at Prestonwood, you know, we're a private club, so we, we don't have um, the, the non-member coming into play unless they're playing against the USDA team or they're shopping, right? But really, they're not playing here, so, so we're limited as far as try tennis as a program here, but boy, do we have a lot of new members come through during this this pandemic i mean i'm surprised at how many members we joined or how many people upgraded from social to tennis and, uh-huh and I, I think it's because you know that they, they, maybe kids after school programs are are, are um, you know uh, in the tank right now they're not able to do after school sports so they're all coming up to play tennis yeah and they're all <laughs> to try tennis i think it's fantastic i mean you know you, you hear of all these other businesses that are that are you know um 
going down and like we're growing. Yeah. <laughs> we're growing during this. Yes, I do think that's been a silver lining. You know, really. Yeah. I, that, and that's one of the things that's part of the reason why we founded this Love Love Tennis site and we're doing the podcast because we really love tennis and want to promote it. And, and we want the sport to open up to, to the world yeah. because I think so many people can enjoy it. So I'm glad to hear that, that you're seeing that the numbers of members at your private club are, you know, yeah. are playing tennis. More of the members are playing tennis. That's great. Yeah, um, yeah we biggest group of two fives that I've ever seen before. You know, I've been here 24 years. I've never seen this many two fives at one time. Wow. Know? That's fantastic. So, um, yeah. Well, I know in the, in the corporate world, speaking of business, um, there's a concept of lifetime learning. And there's an expectation in many corporations that employees will keep their skill sets current with continuing education and training. So I have a few related questions for you. Um, how do you, as a coach, you mentioned the, the some of the online sites that you that you're using, but I was wondering, you know, how do you keep up your skills? And do you take classes and or online training? You know, how do you stay up to speed? And are there any tennis coaching credentials that coaches can attain? to distinguish themselves as a specialist in a particular area of tennis, or is it, you know, mostly the credentials or coaches are sort of generalist, you know, and, and they are being credentialed at sort of a high level and they can, they can teach across singles, doubles, anything versus in specialized areas. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about that and how you keep your skill set current from year to year. Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah, with uh, with PTR uh, Professional Tennis Registry, we, we have three years to earn nine credits, to earn nine edu- uh, continuing education credits. Uh, and every February, there's always a huge um, international tennis symposium, PTR symposium in Hilton Head. Uh, like usually, it's over Valentine's Day, um, like the second week of February. Okay. And I went. I went this year, um, earlier this year, before the pandemic started. So uh, <laughs> you could knock out all your ed- all your education credits in one week. Okay. And there are um, you know various classes you can attend, various, you know seminars you can you can um, attend. Sometimes the special classes are like three hours long, and they might be just like a certain topic. Like I did a um, a doubles course with Gigi Fernandez, who's a twenty three time Grand Slam winner. In women's doubles and mixed doubles, uh, from the U.S. Olympian. I mean, she's like double special. Yes, right? yes, I, I and, do. Uh, I do know of Gigi because uh, a woman that I interviewed for this podcast, Jane Foreman, who founded Jane Foreman Sports, uh, back in uh, when she was playing on the tour, she and, and Gigi were doubles partners. I believe she yeah. told me that. So that's really cool. But that's so cool that you got to take a course with so that and that helped you up your credit for the year. Absolutely, okay. yeah, absolutely, and then. Uh, you know, we, we, we take these hour-long seminars, you know, sometimes they speak for an hour and, and then, you know, question and answer session afterwards, sometimes they're three-hour-long courses. And, um, but yeah, you can knock it all out in one week. But if you can't attend the symposium, um, there are, through PTR, there are different online learning modules. And, you know, you can get tested after that, uh, after, you, you know, after you watch the videos and do the, like, the written section, there'll be, a, you know, a test afterwards. And then... Um, also, PTR does these um, two-day workshops, like all over the country. Not so much this year, but, <laughs> but uh, prior to this year, there would be, you know, there um, my 11 to 17 certification I did in Charlotte, uh, and our tester's name was Carla McKenzie, and we did it at a, at a 
had an indoor club in Charlotte, one of the uh, lifetime fitness um, clubs in Charlotte. Uh-huh. And uh, it was like a Saturday, Sunday type deal. You know, it was about 12 hours total, maybe 12 hours total classwork. And then you go home and then later you did the test online. Okay. So you have to actually take a test. That's oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so what about being specialized in a particular area of tennis coaching? Sure. Is that something that even exists? I was wondering, like, are there coaches that are just like a serving coach, someone that, yeah. that just exclusively focuses on one aspect of tennis? Yeah, there actually, there actually is that. Um, so the, the, the two governing bodies, for coaches in, in the United States, are of course, USPTA and then PTR. And then there are some, um, some spinoffs, uh, one of which is uh, Dr. Mark Kovacs, who played at University of Virginia. Um, it, it's called Kovacs Institute, and it's like uh, it's all high-performance tennis. So a lot of like ATP tour coaches or WTA tour coaches will go through him. And you, through him, you can actually get like a surf specialist certification. Oh, wow. Okay. And I, I haven't done it yet. I recently just heard about it actually through Carla, the woman that tested me in last February. Uh-huh. And uh, I just heard about it through her. And, and yeah, it's actually like a, like a, I want to say it's a, it's about eight hours of video. And then of course there'll be a test afterwards through that <laughs> or from that. Okay. Um, well, I wish you luck if you ch- decide yeah. to pursue it. Um, For sure. Yeah, I definitely want to check it out. I actually have done a serve course with him at the symposium a few years back. And uh, he's a fascinating guy. He really um, breaks down the strokes into, like, you know, detail. You know, like, here's what should happen at this moment, and here's where the, the ball release for the toss should be at this moment, and, and so on. So he really, he really gets into it. Wow. That's great. Well, one of our Love Love Tennis blog contributors recently authored a blog about the mental game of tennis, and she began her post by quoting Venus Williams, who once said, quote, tennis is mostly mental. You win or lose the match before you even go out there, end quote. As a coach who has helped people of all ages, I wanted to ask you, how important do you think the mental game of tennis is compared to the physical aspect, and how much of your coaching time is dedicated to that part of the game? Oh, good question. The uh, I think that the the higher level a player is, the more important the mental game is. You know, when you're when you're two five three zero, you know everything is so new, so fresh. You know, and, and you're just trying to find good contact. You know, and, and you're not really worried about too much how it looks yet or anything like that. Right. But then once you advance and you're playing tournaments or you're playing college tennis or you're playing, you know, high level tennis. Uh, your your mental game definitely is more important because everybody strokes the ball well at that level. You know, everybody's got good forehands and backhands. Everybody's fit, so it's gonna gonna come down to you know who's thinking clearer, who 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 keeps fighting, you know who uh, who keeps trying to figure things out and and, and uh, you know throw something different at their opponent. Like I think that's really what separates you know number one hundred fifty than number fifteen to number one. Okay. Know? So is that something that you then, do you focus, do you have any mental game techniques? I know you said the mantra, like, keep fighting. Do With the, with the higher level play, players that you're coaching, is that something that you dedicate, you know, is that something that just sort of is, that you sort of tie in throughout, you know, a coaching period of time, if you're coaching somebody for an hour, or do you devote, you know, particular you know, time per hour to, to the mental game, or is that just something that sort of comes across through, through, through the session? It comes across, 
I would say more like it comes across from, from uh, during an hour lesson or an hour and a half training session. Um, you know, uh, I'll answer some questions about it, of course, and, and uh, a, a lot of uh, of well, lately anyway, it seems a lot of my level, uh, a lot of my work with the higher level players, we talk a lot about grip control or grip pressure or tension. Pay attention to your tension, and and not, you no, know, not playing at level ten. You know, you're like you're, you can't squeeze your grip at level ten and hit so many strokes in a row. It's impossible. You know, you're, you're, you something will break down. <laughs> right. So we talk a lot about paying attention to your tension and also breath, breathing. You know, your breath control. Okay. You know, um, especially in between points. You know, tennis is, is 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 anaerobic in that sense. You know, you work really hard for twelve or fifteen seconds, and then you have like a thirty second break. And so what you do during those 30 seconds is really important to get yourself back ready to play the next point, you know, or ready to serve the next point. And uh, so we, so we'll focus a lot on that. Like, what are you doing during that in-between time? Gotcha. Yeah, that's thank you for sharing that with me. Just on a personal note, I, I don't know sure. that I, when I'm playing a singles match, really, or a doubles match, am thinking about that, that in-between time, those seconds. So thank you for sharing that tip. <laughs> and. Sure. Um, yeah, so that's cool to know that you, you're devoting some time to that mental aspect. Of course, you would be, and giving in because you do work with players. You, you're set of all levels, so you're doing that with the ones that are playing at the higher level. I gotcha. Sure. Yeah. Um, speaking of mental, um, and I did mention tiebreaker before uh, earlier, but I know that tiebreakers are really a mental challenge for a lot of singles and doubles players. And I didn't know if you may have a tip to share for how one can be successful during an intense tiebreaker. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's funny. I, um, I read an article a long time ago when I was a junior player uh, I, I want to say Dr. Jim Lair wrote it, who's uh, one of the mental gurus as far as tennis training goes. And uh, he had a, a player that he was working with hang up signs all over his house and said, I love tiebreakers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this pro was able to turn his tiebreaker record around by believing that he loved tiebreakers. Until then, his, his tiebreaker record was horrible. <laughs> and and, and um, I, I like thinking that, you know, I don't necessarily have signs all over the place, but I would, like, if, it's, if you're getting close to a tiebreaker, you're down 6-5, and you're going to tie it up to make it 6-all, like, okay, partner, here we go. We're getting ready to get to a tiebreaker. You know, like, your attitude going into it is going to, you know, says a lot. Says a lot. And you're like, oh, God, if we win this game, we're going to go into <laughs> a tiebreaker. Of course your tiebreaker is going to be bad. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. But if you go into it going, all right, we, 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 we got back, partner. We, we did it. We're in a tiebreaker now. You know, we got a Gotcha. So, yeah. That's your attitude going in, your attitude during the tiebreaker will be fine. You know, your, your, your performance during the tiebreaker will, will be good. You know, if you start right. If you start right, and it sounds like you're saying be being having a, like a proactive, open mind, and a, almost yeah. a positive, you know, attitude towards having the opportunity towards. to be in yeah. that tiebreaker. Yeah, it, uh, it it is definitely something I've heard so many singles, doubles players across the board. I have heard so many people s- state that. The, the opposite before a you know a tiebreaker and I do um, I'm glad to hear that 
that that's your solution. So I'll probably try it myself as well. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. Yeah, for and sure. Definitely start start with it with with this, you know, like like you're happy to be in the tiebreaker. <laughs> you know, you well, know, like I'm glad I, we made it. I made, made it to the tiebreaker. We're close. This is really close, you know. So if you think of it that way, positive, then I think your performance in the tiebreaker will be fine. Great. You know? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna try it. Um, I know we're we're getting close on time and. Um, I wanted, I understand, I know that you, you're, and I, thank you again, because I know how busy you are for, for taking the time today. Um, I know pretty much day in, day out, you know, you're, you're out there as a pro, you're working with people, but I've heard that you have found time to study the Spanish language, and I've heard that you're doing <laughs> well with that. I am also a Spanish language student. You know, my last name is hyphenated Torres, and so I was wondering, how about we record our next podcast together in Spanish? What do you think? Que crees? Sí, sí. Um, <laughs> quisiera probar uh, el podcast en español. Sí. Yeah, I'd, love to try, I'd, I'd love to try that. That'd be, uh, that'd be interesting. I would definitely need the script beforehand. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I know, and uh, I would love to do that, too. I, I am I'm working and studying. I think that's fantastic that you are doing that, and you're growing uh, your skill set in that way. And you'll probably be able to communicate more effectively with Spanish-speaking players that you coach. Sure. So that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I just find it fascinating, you know, the whole um, – the whole language and, and how different countries Spanish accents are actually different you know like, oh yes oh yes you know, how they pronounce calle versus calle you know is, is different from country to country I think that's kind of neat too absolutely absolutely my husband's family is from Spain and, and they pronounce just you know in Spain the, the word thank you is pronounced gracias with a little bit of a th sound and yeah. and then uh, I know others from down in Mexico and South America where that word is pronounced a little differently just the word thank you gracias so it's pronounced sure. differently so yes I agree with you I think it's it's so neat the all the diversity within the uh, Spanish language and I think yeah. it's great you know keeping your your mind and and our minds uh, you know healthy by 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 trying to to learn a language as an adult because I've heard right. it's easier you know for kids to learn a language but I think we can do it so let's maybe set a long-term goal that maybe we will get back together for a podcast episode and we'll try to do some of it, if not all of it, in Espanol. Gracias, gracias, me too. Well, thank you for taking the time today, Mike, and muchas gracias. And um, I just want to wish you a fantastic end to 2020. This has been a, a challenging year in so many ways for all of us. So I want to wish you a, a good end to 2020 and a great 2021. Thank you so much for having me on today. I uh, really enjoyed my time. That was fantastic. And that's a wrap. If you liked listening to this episode, don't miss visiting our website, love-lovetennis.com to check out more episodes and more content about all things tennis, because Love Love Tennis is where tennis talk starts.